Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm head of school at Kirk Day School. I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Chris Piss, the athletic director at Kirk Day School. Well, today is our fourth and final podcast of unpolarizing, polarizing conversations, uh, specifically about race. And Chris, you're coming in as the fourth person, but maybe the most unique for me. Save the best for last, right? That's right. No. Yes. <laughs> no, just kidding. No. So I think what's cool, what's cool about this is, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations about race. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've educated me. Um, I hope at times I've educated you. But we've, we, you've made yourself very receptive to allow me to ask hard questions that, frankly, are very non-politically correct because I don't have the language for it or I, I don't know. But it's, it's been good. Uh, and so I'm excited to be able to jump into this. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So we're going to start. And Maria, you and I were talking. I think the thing that, that's come out that, that's most impressive with, or at least that has been most deeply impressed upon the people that have listened, has been the story aspect. And when we start with a story, it allows us to, to really uh, develop more of a relationship. But and I, know, I know your story, Chris. Yeah. But I think it's helpful for our parents to hear your story. And so, yeah, I want, let's start there. Tell us your story. So originally I'm from Brooklyn, New York, best out Brooklyn. Um, I, born and raised. I, I actually was a student at, at Kirk, um, sixth grade, I think. So one year and, uh, we ended up moving back to New York and I came back like mid teenage years, um, back to St. Louis. So, and I've been working at Kirk since 2010. I started with the night cleaning crew um, and then just kind of worked my way up in the ranks, worked through school, et cetera, and, and now I'm here. Somebody allowed you to be athletic director. Which Somebody, is, man, this, <laughs> this cool guy here. <laughs> so you you come to you come to St. Louis. How old were you when you moved to St. Louis? So originally 11. Okay. Okay, and then we ended up going back, and I moved back to 17. Okay, so you, yeah. have, a, you have a back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I want to I hit your formative years and then some of the teenage stuff. Okay, uh, okay. And some of this because I know what I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but talk to us a little bit about growing up as a child in Brooklyn because you weren't like Little Orphan Annie, you know, three bucks, two bags, one me. Nah. Yes, I do know the musical. <laughs> Maria's rolling your eyes. Um, but... I mean, tell, tell me about growing up in, in Brooklyn. Like, so you talked about Orphan Annie. I'm actually from the same neighborhood as Jay-Z, and Jay-Z, and he, he did Hard Knock Life, yeah. which was yeah. based off of Annie. So, wow. which, you know, um, I grew up in Marcy Projects, which is Section 8 housing. Um, you know, it's a rough environment. You say only the strong survive. So, you know, um, that, that 90s was the crack era. And, you know, if you know anything about crack cocaine and what it did to the black community, you know, that's just, it's a, it's a daily, daily, daily thing, daily monster, man, that we that we had to deal with. Turn, you know, two black families apart. You know, um, a lot of young black men got incarcerated for selling crack. Um, obviously, a lot of people were on crack. So, you know, it was just, New York City was like a war zone, zombie land at that time, gunshots every night. Um, you see crack vials in the street, you know, um, and it just, it was just a big money pit. So a lot of young dudes was, got involved in that and, you know, ended up incarcerated at that. So, you know, that was coming up in that, in that era, you know. Wow. Yeah. So that was the neighborhood, the setting. Yeah. Best you Eyes is rough. You, if anybody knows about Best Eye Brooklyn, that's just, it's the neighborhood. Man. So, um, 
yeah, it was it was it was rough rough coming up, you know. Um, very unique place though, very unique because as hard as it was, you still, you know, still a lot of love. I would say, you know, so a lot of people can't really. It's no place like where I come from. So you went from. You went from inner city New York yeah. to town and country Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I was like a the transition. Fresh, I was like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a great oh, show, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Classic. Yeah. So yeah. tell us tell us about that transition. So we came here. Um, my my mom wanted to get out of New York City because it was just rough, and she got married to somebody who had family here, and you know we 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 came here, and um, I ended up attending the Kirk for for one year. And I would say it's probably the biggest blessing just because it, it opened up. It opened up, uh, you know, just a lot of different doors that obviously I didn't know till later on would be open. So, um, you know, I met a lot of good people. Sue Pitts is one of them. You know, she was great. You know, she did everything to try to keep me in the school, like work with my family financially and just to try to make it happen because they, you know, wanted me here. So that was, that was big. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I'm sure this is – there's many answers to this question, mm-hmm. but what was the thing you really noticed coming here from from that environment that was just like, man, this is really hard to get used to, or this is different to get used to? Um, it's much slower for sure. Um, aside from that, like I don't know, I just I never really felt like I fit in. Still don't, you know, like that odd puzzle piece sometimes. Just because mm-hmm. the way I view the world is different based on my upbringing. You know, and I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, Southern, Midwestern, just don't have the perspective that I have because the experiences aren't the same, you know. Um, So, like, even with race, like, my grandmother, my mother was raised by a white lady who was Italian. Um, It's a long story, but just making sure she was raised by a white lady who actually lived in the projects and had kids with a black dude. Um, her family disowned her. She was from Naples, Italian family. They lived in Long Island. Her family disowned her because of that. But, like, I've never met nobody like this lady. I have to show you a picture one day. True Italian, cook spaghetti, cook her meat sauce all day long, like (laughs) fresh tomatoes, but hard to go. And and all the gangsters and the thugs in the neighborhood respected her. It was just Helen. You know, she sent you to the store. She slapped you in the face if you got disrespectful. <laughs> like, but she lived. She lived in the projects, and she was a, a white lady from Naples, Italy, but with the heart of gold. Um, so, like coming up, you know, <clears throat> I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, but like race wasn't for me because this lady was white. Like, and I never looked at her like she's white. You know, I, I really feel like I didn't. Of course, there's racism everywhere, um, but I didn't really feel. The differences until I, I moved here. Mm. That was, you know, when you kind of felt it. Um, and, I, you know, I, and the culture is different. The culture is different. So I could attribute it to that. But, you know, growing up, like, I would say it's very diverse. I grew up around Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, West Indians, um, Hasidic Jews. Like, we were all kind of intertwined and we did our own thing. We, you know, went about our day, respected each other, minded our business, and that was it, you know. So, um, you know, like, there's a lot of Jewish, there's a huge Jewish population in Williamsburg. They got some of the best best kosher food, kosher corned beef, kosher, kosher franks. So we go to these stores and shop, you know, or, you know, you get West Indian food. You get a taste of every different culture so nothing shocks you, you know. 
and you just, you know, you accept it. You, you appreciate people. You accept it. You come in the hallway in our building. Um, you know, the Puerto Ricans are cooking. You smell the beans and the rice. They're using their they adobo. So it was just the vibe, the, the atmosphere. You know, that's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. Man, that's, that's a little different than how I grew up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. By, sure. by, a long, by a long shot. I mean, and, and I say that in jest, but I mean, Chris knows, you know, I grew up in a small southern town mm-hmm. uh, with mostly white people. That's a vastly different deal, yeah. um, vastly different than, than experiencing kind of the, the UN at your doorstep, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So you come to St. Louis, you, you experience the Kirk. Who were some of the teachers at the time? Just to just to give some folks some flashbacks. So Dave Dundor was my teacher. He was the only teacher I ever had here. Um, and I, he was from the East Coast. So I think he came mm-hmm. from Baltimore. So we kind of clicked, you know, like, I, like I heard kids say, like, oh, I, I can't stand the way he gets something. But, like, him and I just kind of, like, we meshed well. Yeah. Super cool dude. Very sarcastic. So I think people didn't really understand the sarcasm. But – just a great person. And, I like, I used to call him every year. After I left the school, I used to call him every year on his birthday just to wish him happy because his birthday was in March. I think March 1st, and mine is the 16th. So I would call him and wish him happy birthday. Um, you know, you don't meet people like that, like, that leave an impact on you. He left the imp- in that one year, left, a, like, a huge impact on me. That's so cool. Yeah, What sure. What was it that left that impact? It sounds like he, he connected with you in a different way. <laughs> he was relatable. Like, he was yeah. tough on me. But, like, just the right balance that I needed. You know, like, black kid coming from the inner city, he was receptive to me. He, he like, I was a little wilder than some of the kids here. <laughs> some of the kids here. But, like, I think he understood that. And when I needed to be disciplined, like, it was a good discipline. But, like, we had fun. And I just, I respected that so much about him. You know, it wasn't over the top. It was just just right, you know. That when you know when you get older, you put things into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. All right. So you go back to New York. How were you? How were you as a teenager in New York City? How was I? Yeah. <laughs> I was a knucklehead. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was a knucklehead, man. Um, I played basketball. I was good at basketball, but you know. Define knucklehead, though, because I mean, there's a knucklehead of like, oh, I'm, there's some goofy kid that. You know, yeah. can't can't walk straight over his feet, and uh-huh. then there's knucklehead, and you're saying, "Hey, I grew up in a tough neighborhood." Yeah, talk talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I played in the streets, man. If you if you know what that means, a little bit. I don't want to. Some things you got to take to the grave, but like, <laughs> like I, I was I was a knucklehead. I did stupid things. Yeah. Um, you know, when you when you in that environment, sometimes they say you're a product of your environment, and like that's that can be true. That could apply to me. Um. They say it takes a village to raise a child, too. So, you know, the environment was just, you know, I say the first law where I come from is show no fear. And that's just, um, you know, kind of good and kind of bad, if that if that makes sense. You'll do anything to survive. You do, yeah. Survive with a fittest, like by any means necessary. And you can't show fear because fear is weakness in the eyes of the people. You know, as an adult now, I think fear kind of saved me <laughs> from a lot of situations, but on the surface, it was poker face. Sure. You know, even though maybe like in my gut, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. But, you know, you got to go home every night. You got to get on a train. You got to cross paths with the people, you know, from people from other neighborhoods. Like, you know, Kenneth talked about with his baseball game. Um, yeah. You know, that's same same scenario. Um, you know, so we, I grew up in, in Marcy, and it's like, 
two other surrounding housing projects called Tompkins and Sumner. So Tompkins and, and Sumner and Marcy would always have some sort of rift, some sort of beef um, with each other, like over nothing really, but it was what it was. So, you know, we went to school with each other and oh, the pizza shop was by another hood or whatever the case may be, you know, and like you got to deal with, with the consequences. And, you know, as you, at, once you got to a certain age, like kids started carrying guns. So it just wasn't fights anymore. It was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do to protect yourself and survive because you want to make it home. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's different. And I'm like, a lot of people can't like coming from the hood. Some people could relate to that, but if you don't come from the hood, then it sounds like what, you know, it's like live some like say Whitfield is a neighborhood and Kirk is your yeah. hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people don't like you from Whitfield because somebody your friend beat up a Whitfield person. You, you know what I mean? And now the whole Whitfield is beefing with the whole Kirk because of that one incident. So that's just like typical. And you never know when you're going to run into that person or where you're going to run into him and so Nah, New York is so big, but it surely seems like a small world when you yeah. have a problem with somebody. Yeah. If so you're real. kind of always on hyper alert. Yeah, you always, always kind of always alert. Looking looking yeah, around. Yeah. And you know, that kind of it shaped me for who I am today. Like a lot of people say like I'm private, but like when you raise around wolves, you kind of learn how to move, you maneuver different, you know. For sure. Um like like I had parents of course, my mother loved me, but I was I was raised on survival, so which is a little bit different than you know a lot of people that I come across because like for me it's just I gotta make it like you know my mindset is different when it comes to things like you know I've been through so much in my life I'm, like nothing bothers me nothing can hurt me because I've I've seen so, it all. W well, I want to I want to hit on that before before we move on mm -hmm. because you were talking about. Um, kind of a, a really proud thing that a lot of the the black men in your area mm -hmm. would go to a specific jail oh. and spend time there so talk about that and talk about that influence on just kind of society of like no oh, i mean the, these were kind of like where you earned your stripes so rikers island it's like a notorious jail in new york city um it's nasty nasty place you know but it's it's tough it's rough a lot of gangs you know and so in new york like Going to jail, doing time on the island is like your your badge of honor, and you yeah. come home and you know people people respect that. It's as weird as it sounds. Like you respect going to jail, but that's the way we live because that that was the environment, you know. Um, so, like for me, like my my father was in jail. He was incarcerated a lot of like my life, probably half his life. He's fifty now. And, um, you know, so I would go on visits and, and see him. But, you know, like, that's no place for anybody. Yeah. No place for black men, white men. Like, jail is no place to be. So, you know, um, and then, I, like, I've had friends that been incarcerated and still doing time. You know, and I keep in touch. Like, just how I am. I keep in touch, send money. Like, that's just how I am. Because I know, you know, if they say lock your body, can't trap your mind, you know, you still got to be there for those people. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I think that's important because in their time of need and in time of struggle, like, who's there for them? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, but, so you leave New York, mm -hmm. you come to St. Louis again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where'd you land in St. Louis? Um, Like, what part of town? Yeah. Like, yeah. West County, Creve Corps. That's my mother. Like, so she ended up getting divorced, so it was kind of, like, a crazy situation with that. But um, that's where, you know, she – I fought – 
moving here because like I wanted what I wanted and that was to be in New York City with my friends. But in hindsight it probably saved my life that that's what she the decision she made and kind of pushed for me to do. Um so yeah, that's And you went to Parkway North High School. I went to Parkway North my junior senior year. Yeah. Um which was cool like I still like I I faced a lot of issues there just you know be, coming from New York City like people feel like we're arrogant, cocky. Um I would I would agree yeah, with that. I would agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> see, see. Yeah. We some of the most down to earth people though. I I think <laughs> I think so. But um you know like I dressed well, wore nice sneakers, always kept myself together. That's just how I was raised. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I dealt I dealt with the struggle bus with that, but you know. So what's it been like as an adult being in this environment, especially over the last five years, six I mean, I know more has happened uh -huh. than just in the past five years yeah. for sure. Um, but yeah, what what's it been like to be here with your story, your experiences during, especially the St. Louis time of of you know the challenges we've had? It's it's just like here. I mean, it's just been the land of opportunity for me. Um, you know, I've I've been very blessed to be here. Just one of my bosses, Rob. He's been phenomenal. Somebody I really like, revere. Um, and I, we talked about that, like him just being a middle-aged yeah. white man from Oklahoma. Like that's always been something that it's kind of like, at first I'm like, who is this guy? But he, <laughs> he just really showed me nothing but love. And, um, like obviously like his time growing up is some racist history in Oklahoma. So that, that was something that like really set him apart and made me want to, you know, and we developed a friendship, you know, yeah. something that I never would have envisioned for myself being friends with you know, an older white guy from Oklahoma, man. But, you know, Rob is a genuine person, very good heart. Um, he's been good to me, definitely. So, I mean, Kirk's just been land opportunities even with Taylor. Like, you know, so for me, my perspective and just race and how I view white people is a little bit different from my friends because they haven't had the experiences that I've had dealing with white people. So what has changed your perspective? Because, I mean... You're coming, I mean, that, you've got some stark differences. We're not talking like, let's move the needle a little bit. You, mm -hmm. We're talking like, you know, just back and forth, these huge, yeah. huge changes. So talk talk through that. Um, like as far as what? Be more specific. And well, I, I think I think talk through the fact that, like, you, you, you've gone from inner city New York, mm -hmm. seeing gangs and housing projects, to we're sitting across the street from from Bell Reeve, <laughs> right? And, the and glow you, up, the glow up is real. We call it glow up. That's there, our slang. There you go. Yeah, so yeah. right, you you've got the glow up, and so we're sitting here, um, and it's just a different environment, right? Mm -hmm. And and even KDS is a different environment. And you and I have talked about, um, you know, our diversity. There, there's true diversity here, but it's definitely not the diversity that you could find elsewhere. And right. and we can own that. I think that's fair. But, I mean, just kind of talk through, like, what is it like, I mean, going from such a hot, cold environment, um, yeah, and back and forth? Um, I mean, it has its challenges, like, but I adjust pretty well, like, to any situation, you know. Um, just for me, being here, like, I, like I, I haven't had any issues with race or anything here, you know, I think – I'm kind of quiet, so just people in the building, like, 
they don't really know me, haven't really talked to me. This is probably the most I've talked and <laughs> told my story, you know, outside of like personal interaction. But, um, you know, I've met like some great people. Jonathan Jakes, it's like my brother, man. You know, we would meet up after after work some evenings. He'd be studying, doing the seminary stuff, go to um, the post, have a beer, eat wings, gluten-free wings, because he's gluten-free. <laughs> if you're hearing this, if you're, if you're listening over in London, where he li- I was, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah you know, so free. for me, like, and then even coming here, like, my element was the hood. That's what I knew. So even the people I hung around and gravitated towards, like, initially was that. Um, and then, you know, like, I, I was getting in trouble, doing stupid stuff, getting in trouble. And I think one time I got arrested. Um, and, I like, I used to be embarrassed because, like, I'm a mama's boy. So I hated to have to call my mother. And, you know, and she, and she made a comment one time, and she said, Chris, you can't be good and bad. And even though I still did stupid stuff after that and things I had no business doing, like, that always stuck with me. Um, and then I got introduced to, to Frank Cusimano. I was actually up here working, and... He was coaching his son's, I think, third grade team at the time. And, um, you know, he, I just started, like, because I used to play basketball myself. And so I just started showing him things. And, like, he kind of looked at me and was like, okay. And started inviting me to the game Saturday mornings. And it was like, you know, it gave me something to look forward to instead of running the streets and, and doing stupid stuff. What they say, idle mind is a devil's playground. And that kind of was a situation for me. Um, you know, call one of your friends, go do something you don't have no. But then it was like Saturday mornings, Friday nights I wasn't out. I was working through the week. So Saturday mornings, like, I would go to bed early and make sure I was at that game. Like, I wanted to be on time because I really enjoyed, like, coaching. And, you know, it was it was fun. So something I never would have thought, you know, I would be doing for myself. And it just started out as that, like, small token of, um, you know, small gesture from, from Frank that just kind of, open my eyes to a lot of things. So you had a good relationship for that one season in basketball? No, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. Look, we rocked from third grade to really through high school. Like I coached his his son, I trained his daughter all through, so his son graduated, Dom Dom graduated, um, I think in 14 or 15, something like that. I'm getting old, I try to forget those (laughs) things now. But um, like I told his wife one time, I said like, Frank, Frank saved my life. Mm. You know, and that's that's real because, you know, I was just in a dark place um, dealing with the wrong people and and me doing that just kind of like I, I don't know what it was, but I needed that to happen. Like I, I believe in timing um, with everything in life. So I needed that to happen at that moment to get me through. And, you know, then it was the opportunity to coach at Westminster. and I, I took that opportunity and. You know, as you get older, you start seeing things clearer. And, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So the things my mother was telling me that I, I wanted to disregard, like, started making sense. And I saw different opportunities for myself legally to move ahead and do the right thing. What was it that your mother told you when it came to culture specifically? Because I think this is a powerful statement. The ignorance thing. Yeah. So, like... My my mother and I we we have our conversations sometimes like like two three hours. So she told me, um, you know, we just talked about we talked about our culture and itself and the things we deal with and the struggle 
you know, within our own race. And, you know, the comment she made to me was that, you know, like, Chris, I'm a black woman in America. Like, if, if anybody knows what struggle is, I know what struggle is. And she said, but ignorance is a choice. So, you know, that's the first time I really heard that, you know. Because um, I would always say, like, just people are ignorant. Like, it is what it is. But she made the comment. Now, mind you, my mother had me at 17 years old. So she was a, a teenage mom just raising me and, like, sacrificed everything. So that's why I hold my mother on a pedestal because she made it happen as a young mom. I remember my mother was going to BMCC, which is Borough Manhattan Community College, and would take me to class with her. Um, and her professor, like, respected it, loved it so much, he ended up buying me a mattress so that when they were in lecture hall, like, I could just chill and <laughs> go to oh sleep. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, like, I went everywhere with my mother. And, you know, she, she just taught me and showed me a lot about life and working hard. And, you know, even through the ups and downs, like, that's always been my rock, that one person I could always, you know, count on. Wow. So. You know, as you talk, I mean, it's definitely relationships, it sounds like, that have cemented you and, mm -hmm. like, grounded you. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing right to actually know somebody mm -hmm. um i think that's sometimes where we struggle i struggle like especially just because we're bombarded with things that aren't relationships like we're bombarded with you know 140 character tweets <laughs> i guess they're up to 280 280 yeah, yeah. 280 oh, character tweets <laughs> um or you know 30 second instagram videos right. and what you're describing and what made a difference in your life is so much more than just that. Absolutely. I'm not like the, the new age, like social media. I'm old school. Man. Like, yeah, you are. Yeah, I, I believe in morals and just character is big to me. Like being genuine, being a solid individual, not fair weather person. Like your character says it all, you know, that's important. So we're teaching our kids day in, day out, right, that they're image bearers of Christ, that Christ didn't make a mistake with them, whether you're a white kid, black kid, whether you are, um, you know, a, an achiever when it comes to the classroom, maybe you don't have the best grades, but you're, you're really artistic or you're really great on the sports field. God didn't make a mistake. No. Where have you felt like you were told in both ways, and this is tricky, mm -hmm. where were you feel like you were told God made a mistake? either through culture or other areas, and where were you affirmed that, man, God didn't make a mistake? Oh, that's tough. That's a tough question. Um, I didn't bring you on here to, you know, serve, nah, you, no. to serve you up softballs, man. I think growing up, you you question a lot of different things, a lot of different pieces, why things happen. Mm -hmm. um, and and, it, and it's it, that's a really good question because a, a lot of my friends – don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, don't have that relationship with God. And it's because of things and events that have happened in their life. Um, but for me, like, if, if it wasn't for God, I know I wouldn't be here where I'm at and made it through some of the situations that, because some of my friends or family been in those scenarios and, and it didn't turn out the same way for them. So, you know, like, like as an adult now, I'm, I'm, like, this is the most secure and confident place that I've been in, in my life. Mm. And that's, at this point, I'm at now. 
where, you know, those things, are, it's just no question. But when you're young and when you, you're going through the struggle and you're dealing with certain things, you know, you, you definitely question it and you ask yourself, like, God, why? Is God even real? Like, yeah. you know, those are legit questions that you ask. You know, say you lose a friend who's 14 years old and to gun violence. Like, that doesn't make sense. Um, and, like, one thing in, in, like, our community is that, like, mental health isn't something that's really pushed. So, you know, in the last few years, PTSD has been a thing. Mm -hmm. But, like, how many young black brothers have gone, like, have PTSD based on the things that they've gone through? And all you taught is to just sweep it under the rug, be tough, like, keep going. All right. So, Chris, as we finish this conversation, what I want to know from you is what do you see with our kids? What are the opportunities and what are the critiques you have for our kids as they are growing up so that they don't experience the same racial division that we see on the news and that we've really already experienced in our lifetime? So um, some opportunity, I feel like I'm a firm believer that people fear what they don't understand. And I think that, um, you know, we have to, to get to know each other um, on a personal level, not just surface, you know, generic, hey, I am by, like, really understand and, and take the time and, and, and come with an open mind and open heart. And, you know, the media, the news, or, or paint a picture um, a certain way, and it's obviously within the black community, it's not always rosy, but you won't understand until you experience it. And um, I, think that's, I think that's the biggest thing that we can do. Uh, you know, and, and, and one thing about Kirk, uh, when I went here, it was like I was one of three black kids, so it's very diverse now. I would say, you know, yeah. in comparison yeah. to to that time, which is big, you know, because be, being around people of color, being around uh, white people, I think those things are important. Just to just to embrace and and you know experience difference differences in culture. When you when you're familiar and you're around it, it it kind of it becomes family it's it's, it's just mm, yeah it, it meshes you know but when you're foreign to it then that's that's where i think you've got the divide um you know and as, as far as systematic oppression if anybody you know don't be silent that's have a voice i think it's important to, to fight systematic oppression that you got to have a voice you know silence is is saying you agree with this so to speak and i think i think it's big to to acknowledge it and you may not fully understand it. You know, I can't, I can't put myself in, in your shoes and understand what it's like to be a white guy in America and vice versa, you know. Um, so I think understanding and one thing I've been good about my entire life is, is putting myself in other people's shoes and trying, and trying, whether I understand it, just, you know, trying to figure out a way to just be compassionate and, and sympathize. Um, I think that's critical. And and, Wait, and w when you say sympathize, I think, and I'd love for you to unpack that because what I'm hearing mm -hmm. is, I mean, sympathize. I can sympathize if I watch the news and I see something. Oh man, I feel bad for them. Yeah, I can sympathize. Yeah, but I can't do anything. So so talk to me about that sympathy. What what's the difference between being like, oh, I feel sorry, check, versus <laughs> being like, no, I I, I really that really hurts my heart. I, like, so I, I think. And I'm gonna share this because you you made a comment about things convicting you. So 
w- when you when you're compelled by what you see on the news, and like it it really has to hit home for you that yeah. we we have a domestic problem here in the United States. Um, if you live in the West County area, 20, 25 minutes away, there's drug abuse, gun violence, poor school systems here. Um, that should that should raise an alarm and make you want to know, like what's going on. You know, I think, and and I, I voice my frustration with you about, you know, a lot of missionary work that goes on in other countries. You know, via the church, but there could be a lot more missionary work in the poor neighborhoods just in St. Louis alone. Um, I think that's a critical piece, and you know. It, it, it just needs to happen. I don't, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily require money. I think more so opportunity and, and reaching out. And like my, one of my good friends, he coaches at Confluence. And the biggest thing, and I just, I reached out to him, this is maybe last summer, and I asked him, what, what can I do to help? Like, and he was like, these kids just need job opportunities. Just mm-hmm. an opportunity. Not money, not, you know, finance, but an opportunity to, to see different, do better, because when you know better, you do better, and that's that's just the bottom line. And I think that that's the biggest thing um, is that people in the black community need is just an opportunity to to branch out and just get away from the negative energy, the drugs, the violence. You know, it 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 wears on you. It yeah. it wears on you. And you know, we talked earlier about um, you know we're conditioned just to keep going, keep moving, and not really deal with the issues we face, that's just how we're conditioned. And, you know, sometimes, like, you need a mental break. Like, it's rough hearing gunshots all the time, people around you dying. Um, you know, we, we have some of the, just from a health perspective, we have some of the highest rates of diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure in our community. Um, you know, so people not just dying from gun violence, but medical conditions, you know, like like the ones I, I named. So. You know, it's it's important just to educate and to, you know, your diet, your your mental health. Those things are critical and being successful. You know, so th- that's that's the biggest thing for me. I think just to reach over and actually, you know, touch the next person by 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 listening, being being an, an open ear, and, and then coming with an open heart. And you know, that's it. Like that's it. Man. That's excellent. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. Um, appreciate you. Appreciate the work you do for Kurt Day School. The way you love our kids. The way you challenge me. Um, because I think all this really came out of the conversations that you and I have had. And um, and for those of you that, that are listening, I mean, one of the things that I think uh, I admire most about you, Chris, is the fact that we can have those conversations and ask the tough questions um, without it being without it being a situation where you're judging me. I feel openness with that. And, sure. and that's, that's helped me grow in a lot of ways. And I get like your, your comfort level with that is different than maybe other people, but nevertheless, that is something that, that has really challenged me and, and humbled me in a really positive manner to help all of our kids, not just, not just our kids of color, but, but just any kid that comes to Kirk day school. So I appreciate it, man. Appreciate well, it too. Families, uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, this is the last podcast that we have for this series, but we're going to be coming back with with more. But thank you so much. And uh, Chris, again, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you guys soon. All right, so thanks.